Welcome to your happy place. This is the Live Happy Now podcast. I'm your host, J.R. Houston, along with Deborah Heiss, who will be joining us here in a minute as we get ready to take a look back at the best of Live Happy Now through 2015. Before we get to that, we want to mention our partners, Live Happy Magazine, issues on newsstands everywhere. You can also find our digital edition in the iTunes and Google Play stores. Please, please check it out. Lots of great information and really cool articles in there. We also want to thank our other partner, Life Reimagined. Their website, lifereimagined.org slash happy. It is just chock full of processes for you to go through and resources for you to try out as you journey toward your peak happiness. As you awaken to the power of happiness, so do your dreams. So what's next? Find out at lifereimagined.org slash happy. Well, Deborah, we launched this podcast, it seems like both yesterday and nine years ago. We've been doing this for a couple of months now, and we have come so far from episode one uh, to where we're sitting today. Yeah, we uh, we launched in August, which uh, seems like it was forever ago at this point, because we, we've done over 30 of these at this point. Yeah. And I think we've learned a lot along the way, both from our guests and in the technology department. But I, th- yes. <laughs> <laughs> I think we've come a long way in uh, what we're putting together. And I hope that uh, those of you who have listened to, us, listened to us from the start have really enjoyed it. I know we've enjoyed putting it together. We've heard a variety of voices from our staff on the interview side, and we've had some great experts on the show. Yeah, absolutely. And and the thing I li- I've liked about it is the fact that I'm coming into this completely new to positive psychology, right? I mean, this is not something that I was particularly uh, in tune with prior to doing this. And we were just talking about this last week. We were recording episodes, and the more I listened, I thought, okay, that's that applies to me. I can do this. <laughs> so not only are the people that are listening learning but one of your hosts <laughs> is learning right along with it. and i think we're all i think we're all picking stuff up from this. yeah I'm, I'm learning too i've been uh, of course working on live happy for more than two years now um but even every time we have a new guest there's a new a new insight or a new piece of information that i didn't know that i can incorporate into my own life and so it's been a great a great uh, source of knowledge for me and a great source of inspiration in a lot of cases. We've had some great personal stories on here as well. Absolutely. And we've kind of gone through uh, all of the episodes that we have put out and come up with what we've sort of termed our best of for 2015, at least uh, at least through the interviews that we've done and have, and have been uh, posted. And we've got a lot of great people that we're going to hear from again today. Uh, Sean Acor, Tom Rath, Michelle Galen, Deepak Chopra, uh, Dr. Drew Ramsey, and on and on. And it, it, there's just so much to, to dig into. I, we, we might as well get started. Who's, who are we going to hear from first? Well, you know, one of the questions we get asked all the time, um, and one of the questions we asked a lot of our guests is, what's the definition of happiness? And one of my favorite answers to that question is from Sean Aker. And, and Sean is a columnist in the magazine. He's also the author of The Happiness Advantage. And he's just an all-around great speaker and conveyor of information in this space. And he has a great answer to the question, what is happiness? The ancient Greeks defined happiness, and I love this definition. They, they define happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential. The reason I want to highlight that is joy is something you can experience even when life is not pleasurable, right? Even on the long run when your legs are burning, you can feel joy. You can feel it working long hours, starting a, a business, being an entrepreneur yourself. You're putting in long hours, but you find it to be meaningful. Um, you can feel it even in the midst of childbirth where there's high joy, but not necessarily high pleasure in each of those moments. And what we've been finding is that so many people are afraid of happiness within our society because they think, you know, maybe I won't 
try as hard if I'm already happy. Maybe I wouldn't have been as successful if I was if I wasn't happy. And that's what pleasure does, but joy does the exact opposite. Joy actually fuels our desire to connect with other people. It makes us want to deepen our relationships. It makes us want to figure out how we can actually achieve our potential. So it turns out if you define happiness as the joy you feel moving towards your potential, not only can we study it and quantify it, it turns out we could actually sustain it. I have been so privileged to have the opportunity to traveled to 51 countries over the past eight years. And I feel like I've learned more in those past eight years than I did at 12 years studying happiness in a laboratory. Because happiness looks very different in a lab where you can control all the variables. It looks very different in the messiness of life. So I actually started taking this out to companies and to entrepreneurs and schools in the midst of the banking crisis, right? When we didn't know if the global economy was going to collapse. We didn't know if... Uh, you know, if the economy was ever going to recover, we didn't know if people were going to have jobs. And what we found was, as I traveled to all these different places, what I began to learn was the triggers of happiness are universal. The things that cause happiness. So those are social support. That's optimism. That's how we perceive stress. That's finding meaning in your work. Those are universal, but our access to those were not. So I got the opportunity to travel to some places that Based upon my prejudices, I thought we're going to have lower levels of happiness. I went to places like Venezuela and Zimbabwe, where you have complete political instability. I mean, we, we talk about in the United States about not, what's, not knowing what's going on with Congress or who's going to get elected president. But, I mean, the type of political instability that they deal with there is crazy. I mean, in Zimbabwe, their currency collapsed. They were moving around their currency while I was there in wheelbarrows. That's how mm. worthless the money had actually become. And they had taken away their lands from farmers. So I, I worked with some of the farmers there. I worked in Venezuela with people that were under threats of political kidnappings. And I found some of the most optimistic, positive, and happy people I'd found in all of my travels. And the reason for that is that they had deep social connections. So while there was political and economic instability, there was uncertainty in their life, as long as they had that deep well of breadth, depth, and meaning in those social relationships, turns out that they were able to weather whatever storm that they were going through. It's it's a very interesting thing, Deborah. How often social connections and uh, making connections with other people, whether it be family connections or whether it be uh, friend connections or just human connection with other human beings in your day to day life, really can affect what your outlook on life is and how happy you are. Well, you know, the research is is overwhelming in this particular area. Social connection is absolutely one of the keys to happiness worldwide, whether it's, you know, more deeper, meaningful relationships, having positive family interactions or whatever it is, people that you find most meaningful to connect with in your life. And it's clearly an important aspect of people's happiness. And our next expert, Michelle Gielen, wrote a book called Broadcasting Happiness, which really touches a lot on social connection. And our next clip is from her. The reality is that social connection is, in the research, the greatest predictor we have of happiness, long-term happiness. So we don't have to have a lot of friends, but just a handful of deep, meaningful connection with other people. So we don't want to go cutting out people out of our lives. What we want to do instead is have what I call a, this a three-part strategy called the strategic retreat. And normally we think of when we're dealing with, uh, you know, in wars, if you, ha if you retreat, you're cowardly. A strategic retreat with negative people is the smartest thing you can do. Three parts are retreat, regroup, and re-enter. When someone's being negative and the situation is not allowing for positive communication to exist there, maybe there's too many negative voices in the room or that person's fired up, 
whatever the situation is, if you're feeling like this is not the right moment to really fully communicate with that person, take a retreat and get away from them for a while. Then you're going to be continually impacted by the negative person if you don't bolster your own positive resources. The way we do that is by doing so many of the positive habits that are featured in Live Happy magazine. Writing three new and unique things that you're grateful for each day for a period of 21 days. Journaling for just two minutes a day about a a meaningful moment. Um, Taking a positive picture of something meaningful in your life, one a day for a period of three weeks and perhaps thinking about printing those out and putting them up at your cubicle or in an area when you first walk into your house. Those small things can sound like tips or tricks, but what they end up doing is they, they transform the way our brain experiences its reality because they show us the meaningful moments and the meaningful connections that we have in life. The more we can bolster our positive resources, the less of a negative effect that person can have on us. And then lastly, plan a re-entry plan. You wouldn't show up to war, to a battle in your bathing suit. <laughs> so <laughs> just like, the, uh, like that, when you're dealing with a negative person, um, have the plan of how you're going to effectively communicate with them. If it's someone at the office and you know you need some information for them, get the two-minute drill down. Go in, say something nice, get your information, ask them the question, say one more nice thing, and get out. Don't sit in their office. Don't close the door. Don't belabor and, you know, spend too much time. Just just get what you need and get out. And what that ends up ha- ends up happening from that is that hopefully you're able to establish a pattern of positive interactions where that person is not negatively affecting you as much. And in turn, you're also positively influencing them as well. Um, and, and I think that that's what this re- why this, I'm so excited about this research overall is that we're seeing now this compelling body of research that shows how influential we are over how other people experience their reality. It's just about taking those steps to transform the communication you have with them. And when doing so, that produces results. A lot of what Michelle's talking about there was about taking negative relationships and turning them positive. But really, her message is about broadcasting positivity, creating positivity in your environment. But of course, creating positivity with people isn't the only way that we create positivity in our lives. There's a lot of other things that impact our happiness besides just the people around us. And I think some of our um, our next speaker really uh, touches on that quite well. Yeah, absolutely. We've got Tom Rath, who's uh, joined us a couple of times, who talks about being fully charged. That's his whole thing. The book, the movie, the film, being fully charged and how taking care of yourself can take care of your happiness. First one's about energy. And all of the work that I've studied, and uh, Brian Wansink, who's written Mindless Eating and uh, done a lot of great research on this topic, is one of the key characters in that section. I think that helps people to step back and say, how can I create an environment around me in terms of the foods that are sitting out, the people I'm around, and so forth, that allows me to have the energy I need to be my best today. And so many of us, especially the most giving and well-intended people in the fabric of our society, we're so quick to put everyone else's needs in front of our own that we're just not, we don't have the energy we need to be effective for other people in the afternoons and evenings. So that's the first element is how do you do those three things of eating, moving, sleeping well in tandem to have the energy you need to be your best each day. The second element is about 
ensuring you have far more positive than negative interactions. As I'm sure many of your listeners know, that one negative interaction profoundly outweighs a positive. So we need to make sure that at least 80% of those interactions are far more positive than negative. And uh, you hear from everyone from uh, Nicholas Christakis, who's done amazing work on kind of how social networks and well-being and obesity and smoking spread all the way out to second and third degree friends of friends of friends to uh, one of my favorite characters in the new documentary is a guy uh, in South Central Los Angeles. His name is Ron Finley, and he calls himself a gorilla gardener because he just goes around planting beautiful flowers and medians and on strips of land in these parts of uh, Los Angeles where other people are not doing that. And he's even uh, gotten in trouble with the city and with law enforcement and had an arrest warrant issued because he's going around planting things where they don't think he should be trying to beautify the place. And to hear him describe the way he does that, so someone who's on a uh, light rail train in the morning going by his place just has a little moment says, oh, that's a beautiful sunflower instead of d- dwelling on how little they're looking forward to going to work or whatever, helps to bring those interactions to life a little bit. And then the third element is all about the importance of focusing more on creating meaning and doing things for other people versus focusing inward and trying to make yourself happy throughout the day. And uh, that features a lot of the great new research from uh, Amy Vresnevsky, who has been a a luminary in the field of positive psychology and helping people to see how we really need to find those daily internal motivators that help us to do our best meaningful work instead of looking at the external carrots and sticks and focusing on ourselves when we think about well-being. You know, if you were on our website and you were to go to store.livehappy.com, we sell a shirt there that says happiness is an inside job. And that's really what I think that's what that was kind of my takeaway from Tom when we were talking about that is yes, you can broadcast happiness like Michelle talks about and, and the attitudes of others can certainly influence you and can influence other people. But if you truly want to live a happier life and be a more positive person and, and, and have better reactions to even the negative things in life, it's got to start with you. Yeah, one of the things I love about happiness, and our, our founder, Jeff Olson, says this a lot, it starts with you. It's up to you. It's not hard. It's little things that you do. It's little choices you make. You choose to be happy. Happiness is an inside job. Jeff Olson's point is that happiness is not difficult. Nothing about being happy is difficult, but it's consistent. You have to make choices to do that every day. And there are things you can do to be happier. It's a choice you're making. It really, truly is an inside job. Our next speaker talks about one of the things that really contributes to happiness, which is gratitude. Part of being a happier person is being grateful for where you are in life. And uh, Louis Aloro has some really good points on that particular topic. I teach gratitude as a, as a visceral experience. I think a lot of people keep it in their heads when, when they're acknowledging what they're appreciative of. And it really needs to be a body experience of feeling grateful and, and really calling up the, the feelings, the, you know, the neurotransmitters that can go through our bodies, that that's where the healing power of gratitude is. Um, and so I encourage people even, you know, someone holds the door for you and you're saying thank you, like really emote that, feel that. Um, something larger could be, you know, you, you, um, you know, someone, someone saves, saves your life, you know, that's a, that's a different experience, but also the magnitude of gratitude can be, can be felt in all sorts of contexts. I mean, that's that's a great point right there, because if you get in the habit, you get in the practice of being grateful for uh, big things, little things, 
it's pretty soon, yeah, it does become a habit and you start to see, okay, wow, this is really a great thing that I have going for me. My life is really going a lot better uh, because I am grateful for the small things. I mean, you, you look around at, at the world and sometimes the people who are the happiest are the ones who are maybe don't have as much but are so thankful for what they have that, that they're not worried about what they don't have. It, it really does tie back to uh, you know some, what some of the previous clips have mentioned, which is positivity. Focusing mm-hmm. on positivity as opposed to negativity. Being grateful really causes you to focus on the good things that are happening, draws your attention to something positive that happened, as opposed to focusing on the negative. The, the analogy I like to use is, while we're driving to work and somebody cuts us off, we can really focus on the fact that that person cut us off and get really angry about it, or we can be grateful that we didn't hit them. These are yeah. these these are two choices, right? <laughs> I prefer to be grateful I didn't hit them or we didn't get in an accident and feel good about that encounter than spend my day being angry at being negative. It, it's all about how you view things and, and what your you, what your attitude is. And our next speaker, Rhonda Cornum, says attitude is everything. Oh, I think attitude is everything. I mean, if, if you walk into any experience expecting the worst and thinking you can't impact the outcome, you will fail no matter how minor the problem. But similarly, if you don't look at it that way, I mean, did you ever watch, did you see the movie The Martian? And at the very end, uh, the guy who got stuck there for a year and a half is lecturing the new astronauts. And he says, an impossible problem becomes possible when you solve it one step at a time. Oh, that's fantastic. What a great insight. And that's really what you did during your captivity, isn't it? Right, right. I mean, I can't do anything about the fact that I uh, don't have any pain medicine and I'm hungry and I'm cold, but I can do something about um, whether I move in a certain way that makes it better or worse, and I can do something about what I'm thinking, and I can do something about what I'm seeing. And so, yeah, it's all about taking control of what you have control over. Now, I'm really jealous because I did not get to interview Rhonda. I have met her. Um, Paula Phelps, our science editor, got to do the interview. Um, but for those of you who don't know, Rhonda Cornum was uh, General Rhonda Cornum. She was the first female POW um, in the U.S. military history in the first Gulf War. And so what she's talking about there is, is her experiences as a captive and her mindset as a captive POW in the Gulf War and really how she triumphed over that and eventually became Assistant Surgeon General of the United States. Mm-hmm. So she's a really impressive woman. I, I Really wish I'd gotten to interview her myself, but it didn't work out schedule-wise. But uh, for those of you who haven't listened to that podcast, I recommend you check out the entire podcast. It's wonderful. No, oh, yeah, absolutely. And and what I think she's talking about there, and, and I've got a guy that, that I work with now, and, and the things that we're doing, we've got somebody else's decisions that affect how our day-to-day operations go. And sometimes we'll sit there and kind of complain about, well, you know, if she would just do it this way, our lives would be easier. And then the people under us, their lives would be easier. And he says, yeah, that's true, but we got to control what we can control and then deal with the rest. And, and I want to make sure we all know that JR is not talking about working here at Live Happy. No, He's no, talking no, about no, a different no, no. job. <laughs> I do like 50,000 different things. Deborah is the boss here, so I'm not just calling Deborah out right now on the podcast where there's audio evidence. No, it, but but it's it, but I think it's true. Like there, you can't control everything and you've got to have the mindset to deal with uh, the things that do come at you, whether they be positive or negative. Shane Lopez was one of our guests as well, and he talked with us about uh, how all all sorts of different things uh, from workplace happiness and productivity and well-being can, can influence us. You know, his real specialty is about hope and creating mm-hmm. hope, and he's got some really fascinating things to say about how that feeds success. The research is pretty strong in three different areas, one being academic success, two being workplace productivity, and the third being happiness and well-being in life. 
So when it comes to academic success, we find that hope is, is worth a letter grade in school. Wow. So it is truly valuable in, to the extent that hopeful students just flat out do better than less hopeful students. We find that hopeful students graduate on time more often than less hopeful students when we're looking at college graduations. We find that hopeful students do better on big stakes, high stakes tests than less hopeful students. Um, we find that hopeful students are more likely to go to school. So across domains of academic success, we find that high hope students do better than low hope students. The same is true when it comes to workplace productivity. Looking at high hope workers, high hope managers, they get more done in a given week than low hope employees and low hope managers. In fact, their productivity um, is one day greater per week um, than that of a low hope employee. So when we talk about getting more out of people, when we talk about motivating people, their belief that the future will be better than the present and their belief that they have some power to make it so actually takes them to a higher level of productivity in the workplace. It only stands to reason, right, that if you don't have any hope that it's ever going to get any better than this, why try? Why try to be better? Because it's not going to be, because you have no hope that it can possibly be. But if you have that that bit of hope that, yeah, I can make an impact here, I can make a difference here, you're going to try your best to, to make those things happen. Shane is really excellent at presenting this topic and teaching on this topic. He's a sen- senior fellow at Gallup. His thoughts and his book on hope are, are really worth investigating because we need to learn how to create hope where maybe there is none. But not just for ourselves, but for the people around us. It's a great concept that, uh, you know, learning a lot more about that and talking to Shane, I, I found really fascinating. The thing I like about him, too, is he's taking it, not just not trying to teach like people like our age, you know, that are adults and we're trying to get that hope back. He's trying to instill the habit of hope in kids as well, which is fantastic. Well, you know, it is fantastic. And, and there's other things that positive psychology is showing us that our children can benefit from. Our next clip is from a woman named Caroline Miller, and she spends a lot of time teaching grit or resilience to children of school age. Caroline also has a lot of information on goal setting. This next clip is about that. You should check out her book, Creating Your Best Life. does a phenomenal job of explaining how goal setting works. When Creating Your Best Life came out, it was published by Barnes & Noble, which is Sterling Publishing. It was the first evidence-based book on how to set and accomplish goals that had ever been published. It made a big splash. It's done exceptionally well. And I'm very, very proud of it um, because I think if you're going to work on setting and accomplishing goals, you have to understand the science of well-being and flourishing first. Otherwise, there's really not a lot of point in setting goals at all. If you start with goal-setting theory, which is Locke and Latham, it breaks goals into two different kinds, performance goals and learning goals. I didn't know that. I didn't know there was a whole science of breaking goals down into it. And then also a lot of people talked about SMART goals. As you said, there was anecdotal books. There's Brian Tracy, Zig Ziglar. I owned all of them. There were no footnotes, no research. So it was basically, if, if I say do it, do it. Um, and so I discovered that, there, you know, outside of SMART goals, there was this thing called grit and how the happiest people wake up every day to clear-cut goals, particularly these long-term goals that require grit, which is Angela Duckworth's work. And so you really have to study passion and perseverance in pursuit of long-term goals. So there's a science of grit, science of resilience. You have to understand 
understand performance goals and learning goals. And then all this great research on self-regulation. You've got to include your storehouse of self-regulation. How much do you wake up with and how do you augment it? How do you bring it back if it's gone by the end of the day? So you have to understand that piece too. And then I was really, really proud of the chapter on priming. Um, no one had ever, ever written about the, the uh, science of priming and how your environment and words and music and aromas, all of these things impact your goal pursuit every day. Um, and so you have to understand what forces are shaping you. So I wrote about priming. That's a big one. And then finally, my favorite was active constructive responding, Shelley Gable's work on how the only right way to respond to someone else's good news is with enthusiasm and curiosity. And I heard her speak, I think at an IPA conference, and she talked about this research in a little bit more depth and, and had this throwaway comment, which was, oh, and the first person you share your good news with is really the, the determinant of whether or not you consider pursuing that goal. And I'm thinking, what? You know, the first responder, you might abandon all goal pursuit if you share it with the wrong person. So I ran out and buttonholed her. I said, I got to make sure I got this right. The first person you share your goals with, if they don't respond with enthusiasm and curiosity, your research shows that you're more likely to abandon your goals in the coming week. And she said, yes. I was like, nobody knows that. That's absolutely true. And I remember when you were recording that interview with her, I was in the room, but I wasn't asking questions because I was mostly just going, oh, yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> um, but I, I'm a broadcaster by trade. And when you start out being a broadcaster, you don't start out thinking, OK, I'm going to work in a small town radio station where I'm going to play the same five Merle Haggard records every day. <laughs> and then I'm going to read the funeral announcements and then we'll read the lunch specials. No, I'm going to end up in New York and I'm going to, you know, and I'm going to do all these goals and I'm going to do this. And then, then and then it's on to the next thing. And then it's TV. And there were times where you'd say, yeah, I'm going to move on to this next thing. And I'd share it with someone like this is what I want to do. Oh. How could you possibly do that? How are you going to pull that off? You're, Who are you? You're yeah. from you're from <laughs> middle of nowhere, Nebraska. How are you going to end up in New York? And and then and it's not that those goals don't still exist, but it really does dampen your spirit. And if you don't have internal support, the grit that she's talking about, the the ability to overcome that and move on from that, you're never going to reach that goal because you're just going to be so beaten down by people telling you, "No, nah, you really can't." Well, and there's a lot. There's a lot to be said for once again, happiness is is an inside job, right? It's, yeah. There's a lot to be said for. We have to understand that our goal setting is something we're doing, not something the outside world should do for us. And she she touch she touches a lot on that. Absolutely. Now, the next speaker that we have is uh, I was very excited about this interview. Unfortunately, things worked out to where I couldn't be a part of it. What was Deepak Chopra on to talk with us about that day? <laughs> well, as I think most of us know, Deepak is, is an expert in mindfulness and teaching meditation and yoga. And he was really talking to us about how, uh, how to do that and also strengthen your family. So it was, it was a great conversation. I wasn't here for this particular conversation either. He was a, a feature article in our magazine. The editor who actually constructed the article did the interview with him live in New York, and we had a clip of it. Listen to it here. Other than a daily practice of meditation and yoga, I suggest the following, to stop once in a while during the day and ask uh, yourself a simple question, am I aware? And then take a moment to be aware of your surroundings and your body. You don't have to put words to it. Take a moment to be aware of your breathing, sensations in your body, all the beauty around you, because even in the midst of a lot of chaos, there's all these beautiful colors and 
smells and tastes and surroundings. <laughs> you don't have to put words to that. So you say, am I aware? Take a moment then to be aware and then ask yourself who or what is having this experience. And you realize that the who who's having this experience is not stress. It's the, it's the thought, it's the feeling, it's the emotion which you are not. Mm-hmm. You are the awareness in which that comes and it goes. So if you just practice it, and I've tried it with lots of people who are stressed, and I say just stop every moment, every now and then ask these three questions. If that seems too much for you, then stop uh, now and then and observe your breath. Or if that seems too much for you, then stop and observe sensations in your body. If that's too much for you, just stop. <laughs> you know, in other words, press the pause button. I am so glad I let our listeners know that that was a, a live clip from New York because the sound quality was not that outstanding. But, you know, that that's classic Deepak, teaching us how to uh, take ourselves uh, into the moment without uh, allowing all of these external things to affect us, but really figure out what's going on and how to be present. There's a great scene, and, and it's weird to say that this show has had a psychological effect on me, uh, but it's from the television <laughs> show Scrubs. And it's in the, one of the first seasons, and the, the main character, J.D., is an intern. And I, can you imagine being a medical intern in your first year, and all these sick people and everybody, and they're all looking to you for answers, and you're a first year, uh, you're an intern still. And he stops for a minute and puts his hands on the side of his head, and everything kind of slows down for him, and he can start making the decisions. And, okay, we need to do this, we need to do that. And you can shut out everything that doesn't matter. And bring it back to, okay, how do I go about doing this? And that's, at least that's this, this similar type of thing that I took away from what he was talking about. Well, and, and there really is a lot to being mindful and being present, um, as far as creating our happiness. And that, that's a great example of a, a visualization of what people can experience when they really do focus on what's important instead of just allowing everything else to influence their thought and their, and their presence. And being present is, is huge. And Deepak's such a good teacher for all of us for that. Our next guest is uh, someone who is also a, an occasional columnist in the magazine. And he's one of my favorite guys to listen to because he talks to us about eating better. And of course, being healthy is a big part of being happy and touches on the brain food connection. And he touches on a lot of positive things that we could be experiencing if we would just take the time to nourish our bodies better. And his book is uh, Fifty Shades of Kale, which I personally don't like kale, and I get a lot of flack from around the office all the time. But no, you but, know what? Uh, Not for me. But, uh, you know, hey, whatever we got to do to make our brains bigger, I guess, right? <laughs> all right. And so uh, his name is Dr. Drew Ramsey. Your adult human brain continues to grow, and it's not like you can grow a whole new brain, but... This this is not what we thought about the brain. We used to say, well, you know, you, you get born and you've got, you know, uh, about 100 billion brain cells and good luck. Like, take good care of them because you're not going to get any more. We thought you didn't get new brain cells in adult life, and, and you do. And we know the brain is constantly rewiring. It's a very exciting notion because it means that you have some factors in your control that can promote the health and resilience and growth of your absolutely most important asset, which is your brain. And so food, there are now five nutrients that, that we know promote the neurohormone. It's a, a molecule 
that people describe it as miracle growth for the brain. You put it on brain cells and they form more connections. Uh, we have some stem cells in the brain and, and you put BDNF, which is what this neural hormone is called on there, and they give birth to more brain cells. So it promotes what's called neurogenesis. And, and that's at the heart of neuroplasticity with this notion that the brain is kind of constantly rewiring itself and learning and growing. And so your food choice can help you be in a better place with But There are five foods that I recommend for brain health. Um, my little rhyme right now is, is seafood, greens, nuts and beans, and dark chocolate. So these five food groups contain these really important nutrients that promote neuroplasticity and brain growth and overall brain health. Um, and just started to like geek out here, but there's, there is a super cool study that just came out. My colleague Felice Jacka, who is like, one of the gurus of brain food, uh, her team looked at the dietary pattern of people and the size of their hypothalamus, a, a very important part of the brain in terms of, of, of memory. And they, they looked at folks who were 60 and, and followed them for about four years and then scanned their brains again uh, before and after. And they found that the people who ate this healthier whole foods diet was for brain health. But they had much bigger brains. You know, Dr. Drew Ramsey can geek out about whatever study he wants to on this podcast because <laughs> it usually comes with really good information. That That's really interesting. And you think about when you oh, – I think when a lot of people think about eating healthy, they're thinking about their physical appearance. Like, oh, I'm going right. to be thinner. I'm not right. going to have, you know, the spare tire going on. But it really does affect your entire existence if you're eating better and I can get, I can go along with this diet. I mean, I can go along with the, the seafood and the dark chocolate for sure. Yeah. I, if I could just eat dark <laughs> chocolate all day, I'd probably be, you know, <laughs> see now we have an excuse. Yeah, yeah, no, no. <laughs> yeah, I, but you're right. Um, being healthy, eating healthy, eating right. What we put into our bodies is just as important as, you know, our atmosphere that we live in and the way we feel our energy levels, um, our ability to think and, and all of that is impacted by what we eat. And you're right. Most of us think about, how do I look in my clothes? But it's really how functional am I? How happy am I? How how much is my life fulfilling is directly impacted by what we eat. You know, there's so much more that we could share on that. Please check out one of our Drew Ramsey podcasts. He's fascinating. <laughs> he's entertaining. And he's just an overwhelming wealth of information. Absolutely. As as are all the people that we heard from today and, and we'll be hearing from again. And we've got some more exciting stuff uh, coming up in 2016 uh, that we're really excited about, not just for the podcast, but for uh, Live Happy as a whole. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff that uh, we're really looking forward to. I, I need to remind all of our listeners, we have a very content-rich website, livehappy.com. There's a ton of content on all of these topics by everyone that we have spoken with on the podcast this year, plus other articles, large research articles, articles that are surveys of research on various topics. We just have more than, I think at this point, 1,500 uh, articles written by Live Happy or for Live Happy on this website that I think would be valuable information for um, all of our listeners to check out. And of course, the magazine comes out uh, bi-monthly and it's it's available just about everywhere you can buy magazines. I mean, our, our local grocery store has it uh, front and center every time it comes out new and then we can't find it for a while because people are picking it up, which is which is good news. But I mean, it's, in this podcast, there are times where I know we're barely even scratching the surface of what somebody has to say and you can open up those articles and find so much more information. 
Yeah, I, I hope everybody checks out the magazine. I hope they check out our website, either in dig- magazine, either in digital or print form. But we're, we're just having so much fun putting all of this together. I hope that uh, our listeners can tell that. I know that I'm having a great time. I'm learning a lot. This is my first foray into <laughs> broadcasting, which everybody in this room knows. But, <laughs> but you know, we're, we're just having a lot of fun putting it together. And I hope our listeners are having a good time and getting some great information that can help them live happier and healthier lives. And there's a lot more to come, as we said, in 2016. And the really cool thing about uh, the way technology works these days, Deborah, is this is not a one-way conversation. Like, you're not just tuning into this and thinking, okay, well, they're going to tell me. You can tell us what you're taking away from what we talk about. Or maybe there's someone that you've heard that we haven't talked to in any of our various uh, media forms. If you want to hear us talk to them, let us know. There's all kinds of ways you can reach out to us. Social media is a big one. You can find us on Twitter at LiveHappy, Facebook.com slash LiveHappy. We have an Instagram account. Uh, you can search my Live Happy, And then, of course, the email address podcast at LiveHappy.com. We definitely want to hear from people. Yeah, we really want to share. Uh, we want to share your comments and give us some direction. Tell us what you love about what we're doing. So we'll do more of that. We'll even do a mailbag where Deborah will answer every one of your questions in detail. No, we won't. That, <laughs> no, that probably not. Look. Probably. But yeah. we, we might be able to squeeze in one or two here or there. So <laughs> send them on. We can find the experts to answer the questions. Absolutely. For everyone that has tuned in or been a part of the Live Happy Now broadcast, including Deborah Heiss, I'm J.R. Houston saying so long and remember to always live happy.